When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Match Ball. The Matchball 30 brought to you by Levi Solicitors, where you can get a 10% discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hiya. With me, Michael Normanton. Hello. Moscow White as well. Daniel Chapman. Hello. We're going back in time 30 years to the day, charting Leeds United's return to the top flight and the journey through to being champions, being crowned champions in 1992. Game by game, we're doing it with a match ball on the 30th anniversary of each match. And today we're off to Manchester. Not only off to Manchester, we're on the television, which is the bigger deal. I think I'm right in saying, and I can't think of any way to contradict it, this is the first Leeds United league match that was ever shown live on television, ever. Because up until the 1980s, uh, league football just wasn't put on television because they wanted people to go in grounds. And that's why, you know, we still got the 3pm blackout in 2020. But they started having... Sunday afternoon matches in the 1980s when Leeds United were firmly in Division 2. So there had been cup finals and in 1987 there'd been the FA Cup semi-final against Coventry which was shown as live half an hour after the game had finished but between then and this day in November 1990 not a trace of us kicking a football live on nationwide television and this as far as I'm aware is the first league match shown in its entirety. That's just quietly blown my mind, Moscow. So thank you for that. It's a big deal. I've, I've got, it got bigger in the uh, um, 91-92 season, but Manchester City's programme. Oh, you've been to the game? <laughs> yeah, well, no. Just be- back. Just come be- out of it. No, because the, the programme gets taken over by ITV's The Match, who kind of wrap the programme and put their own features in it. Well, one and- second, one second. How much is that? Uh, £1.30. Bloody hell, fire. And- Inflation these days. And it gets sold in shops. So wherever you are in the country, you could buy a copy of the match programme for the game that's on uh, television on the Sunday afternoon. That's how big of a deal I mean, um, this whole thing was. It's like interactive media, isn't it? That's clever. Crossword as well. That's good. Yeah, I was just looking at the crossword. See if you can guess this one. 18 across. Dennis made a perceptive move from Wimbledon to Chelsea. Four letters. Hmm. Uh, Starts with a C. <laughs> uh, right then, um, to the game itself. And we were seventh because we played Forest last week and we were brilliant against Brian Clough's team. Absolutely dismantled them, albeit only 3-1. Should have been maybe 3-0, maybe 4-1, 4-0, 5-0, 6-0. We could keep going, rattling off scores. 
as it is, we are going to main road today for this Sunday televised game, but they're above us in the league. But they're falling apart. No manager. Howard Kendall doesn't want to be there. They seem to want Peter Reid for some reason. But uh, yeah, Howard Kendall's gone back to his first love of Everton. So um, there's a, a nice banner in the crowd calling him a Judas, which is a nice a nice throwback. I don't think you get the Judas insult thrown around as much as you used to. Not enough. And there's another banner I spotted that said, the man we need is Peter Reid. Which is not on a bed sheet. It's more on like a, I'd say it's a torn open pillowcase size-wise. It's a very poxy little thing. I don't know who they're expecting to see it. As an indication of how late in the day this news came, obviously the uh, the program is full of Howard Kendall, um, the Saints view. With it being ITV, you get Ian St. John telling you what he thinks. In less than 12 months, Howard Kendall has worked a minor miracle at Manchester City, completely transformed the playing staff and the playing style, and most importantly, he's fashioned a winning team along the way. And now he's fucked off back to Everton, which is not surprising. I mean, it's funny looking at Man City's team. Peter Reid is taking over as caretaker player manager, although he is leaving a He's been putting a marker down saying, mm-hmm. I will do one match as caretaker manager, then you either give it me full time or give it somebody else. He's ex-Everton with Howard Kendall. And then you go through their team. Alan Harper was Everton. Neil Poynton, they signed him from Everton. Adrian Heath was at Everton. I'm sure, ooh, not Gary Magson. Half the team, though, you look around and it just feels like it's, oh, Adrian Heath, obviously he was at Everton. It just feels like an Everton team, but in a slightly different shade of blue. Yeah, Coton in goal. Harper, Poynton, Reed, Hendry, Redmond, White, Heath, Quinn, Megson, M. Ward. I'm not convinced that Peter Reed's cut out for management. I just don't see him having a future in it. What about you? No, I, I think you're right. I think he's uh, he's too much of a hothead. Although in this, his playing career may be over. There's a point in this where he's described as looking like he's carrying a piano on his back, which is which is nicely phrased. But the other thing going through that Man City team, a lot of good tashes in there. There's Coton, you've got Harper's got one, Poynton's got one, and Poynton's in particular looks very... It looks very mucky. It's like a full pole, sort of Paul Calf tash, is how I'd describe it. Yeah, point and that's the crucial mullet, which is, uh, he played for Oldham at one point, so it all ties together. He kept the mullet right through the mid-90s as well, didn't Probably he? we still got it now. It's, it's a brave sartorial choice, is that? Because when you look at 2020s footballers and how the fact they all go out with fresh haircuts for every game, because it's an ultra-high definition you know, game that's shown around the world, whereas we're only just getting, you know, we're dipping our toes into the waters here of, of televised broadcasts, maybe they weren't quite as image conscious in 1990 because there's a spectacular amount of facial hair and the mullet is, um, it's it's spectacular. I think you get a little glimpse of Snoddins as well at some point as well. He's on the bench who's, and he's sat next to Mervyn Day, isn't he? Who looks very smart, actually, if we're talking about sartorial choices. He looks like he's dressed for church or something, does, does Merv. It's, su- it's Sunday. We are leaping straight to the end of things here, but I noticed when um, we bring John Pearson on right at the end and when he's uh, getting stripped to, to come on, He's wearing a goalkeeper kit and then he takes it off and he's got his, his away kit. So I don't know if they just like run out of tracksuit. So he just had Mervyn Day's like spare goalie top. Maybe he'd been banging his elbows in the dugouts and he just needed some pads for them or something like that. They weren't nice and cosy in those days, weren't they? The keeper shirts were like quilted for some reason. There's another nice um, detail on the bench. When it does cut to Glyn Snodding next to Mervyn Day, I can't remember who it is that's down injured. I think it's Gary McAllister has just been absolutely whacked from behind by Gary Megson in a revenge attack. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know, that's one of our best players. We might need a change here. And you look at the bench and John Pearson and Glyn Snodden just sat there having a laugh, just having a chat. No no question of either of them getting up to maybe get ready. Neil Poynton update, by the way, disappointingly. Quite a sensible look to the man now. Looks more sensible. Oh, okay. he's, he looked- do- he's done that post-football obesity thing quite well, yeah, though. he's not. 
I don't think he's he's not in bad nick for a man of his age. He's about about average, I would suggest. Oh, it's fine. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> Bear in mind, he's about fifteen years older than you. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> while we just are, while we're clearing up the uh, the trivia around this match, we mentioned Tony Colton, Trevor Francis on uh, on cold commentary. It was a bit of a an ongoing thing between him and Alan Parry all through the match, where it, um, Trevor Francis would say, "Well, that's a good save there by Tony Cotton," and Alan Parry would say, "Yes, fine work by Tony Colton." And blow yeah. your nose, Trevor. Fine <laughs> <laughs> work, Tony Colton. <laughs> Let's run through the Leeds lineup because we've not actually done that yet. Uh, in this game, Lukic in goal. You've got Sterling, Kamara, uh, Batty, Fairclough, White, Strachan, Shutt up front with Chapman again, McAllister and Speed. So it's starting to take shape as this lineup. Chris Kamara maybe in there playing at what? Is he left? Left back. Back? He oh. is left back, yeah. The, the match day, the programme, as well as being full of Howard Kendall, has a mad lineup for Leeds in it where they reckon that Chris Kamara's playing right back and Glint's nodding left back but what fantasy world are they in? Chris Kamara seems to get just stuck in to mark tricky wingers doesn't he so he's he's up against David White on this occasion who, who is good in this game I think maybe we should look at signing him. He's got a lot of pace hasn't he very direct mm. a lot of pace so um, interesting future for him ahead. He did seem to be David White was one of Man City's two main tactical ideas in this they had two plans I think Peter Reid Peter Reid said he'd uh, He'd not worked too much. He kind of wanted them to just carry on what Howard Kendall had, had trained them all to do. So they had a good thing going, just trying and continue in that vein. So long balls to Niall Quinn is one. Let him have a go at Chris White and then see if David White can get past Chris Kamara for pace. That was the two things that they tried and they had some success. The thing with uh, the battle between Quinn and White was kind of a free kick for one, then a free kick for the other, and then a free kick for one, and then a free kick for the other. And then David White probably had the beating of Kamara. I do wonder how Kamara coped so well against Tony Daly when he's having a proper struggle with them, with David White. And they start telling uh, Gary Speed plays quite advanced in the first half and in the second half. All you can hear, there's a very useful microphone next to Leeds' bench, so you can hear constantly through the second half, Speedy! Speedy, get back! Speedy, keep going back. Um, <laughs> Mad Mick. But then, one when, when those things didn't really work, City didn't seem to have a lot else after that. And although Leeds weren't great in this game, it did help us that they just kind of burned themselves out, and then we just scored some goals. They did have a referee on the side as well, which helped. Just returning to David White momentarily, his whole trick, if you remember, when he did play for Leeds subsequently, was to boot the ball past somebody and run. So obviously he's kind of a bit of a one-trick pony, really. But it was effective in, in what were simpler times. Talking about post-football obesity, have you seen David White these days? I don't think he'd be running past many people. Yeah, he's a big, he's a big chap now, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's grown in many ways. Let's, let's be kind about him and, and say that. But uh, we're not here to fat shame people. We're here to talk about football and what happened in this. Well, it was a bit of a barnstormer, wasn't it? But we didn't actually control it, as Steve Nichol might say. There was no control in the same way as there was against Forrest. But we took our chances, and I think overall, on balance, just about scraped the win deservedly, would you say? Yeah, we made our chances. I think that's the difference. So City had those two plans, and they were probably the better team in the first half, but we took the lead because we're dead clever. We had a free kick near the halfway line um, that everybody thought Mel Sterling's going to just boot that into the box for Lee Chapman. But because Gary McAllister has a brain, he kind of drifts out to the right wing. Sterland, also clever player, plays the ball down the line to him and suddenly nobody knows what's happening. The ball hasn't just been hoofed into the box, it's been played down the wing. 
Gary and then hooked into the box. <laughs> it's a very good cross. <laughs> it is a very, very good cross. McAllister actually. crosses it on the turn, <laughs> and then if you're putting a ball like that across, Lee Chapman, everything he wants out of life, love, the universe, and he just sticks it in the net as he always would. I mean, back on point there, I thought you were going to say Fruit of the Loom, because that was the end of the Fruit of the Loom um, slogan, wasn't it? And it also has now, there's that crossover with that horrible wall, art, love, life, live, laugh, whatever it is. McAllister is very good in this, actually. He's, I think we're starting to use him more and trust him more. Right in the first minute, Kamara takes a really quick free kick to him, which I think is something that you wouldn't have maybe seen right at the start of the season. It's like we seem to have realised that Gary McAllister is really good and you can just give him the ball whenever and he'll do something with it. And that kind of will uh, we'll skip the missed penalty and just go straight for our second goal in that case because that was um, Strachan was absolutely fuming that he wasn't allowed to take a quick free kick. I think it's Alan Harper comes out, like sees he's about to do it and uh, and blocks him. And it takes, Peter Reed is out and he's giving it the full. Calm down, calm down. It's like it's two players who've obviously played against each other for years. It's like, fucking calm down. Um, so it goes to plan B is uh, City build a wall and Sterling's going to have a shot. But the, um, the shot this time, he tries to kind of curve it over the wall instead of hammering it, glances up in the air and then Carl Shutt, there's a good striker. It's not. It's a good shot, actually. He, he does well to. It's a really good save in the first place, and then the well, the follow up. Does he mag Colin Hendrick on the line with the follow up, so. which is quite a, an achievement, given he's about ten yards away from him when he does it. But then, yeah, it goes through his legs, and by the time it's cleared, I think the linesman you can't see in shot, but the linesman's already given it apparently. But I mean, Chapman does follow it in just to make sure. Again, if there's if the ball's there on the line, I mean, he's going to stick it in the net. But no, it's really good shot. His second game since coming in to take over from John Pearson, he just looks so much more lively he runs and this is I mean John Pearson bless him he's always described as having the turning circle of an oil tanker he would not have been able to spin and get on this deflected free kick and like a, a snapshot on the volley as it comes down and let alone to then once it's been blocked to, to get on the rebound and, and stick it in so and the other thing is is Carl Schultz after being on loan to Malmo earlier in the season probably inspiring a young Pontus Janssen has, uh, he looks so happy to score this goal. Like it's not, um, it's not one of those posy celebrations that you get where people are kind of striking some kind of like, "Hey, look at me, I'm great." Just a massive grin on his face, like I've scored. It's me. Yes, right in front of the Leeds fans as well. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Well, half time and it's 2 0, but we did skip straight past the missed penalty um, in the last five minutes of that first half for, for some, some naughty little elbows flying around. There was nothing in it. Never anything in any of these, these challenges. I mean, the referee is, is like basically involved in this incident. He stood that close to it, isn't he? He's, he's about a yard away. Interfering it, with play, surely. When, when it occurs. So the grainy footage probably doesn't give as good a view as the referee. Um, but I'm going to say from the grainy footage, the refs are cheap and it was never a penalty. You've always got to admire Chris White's absolute certainty that he's never touched anybody <laughs> and that the whole idea that he's committed a foul is a complete disgrace, even if he has basically just clobbered somebody in the head. I think he has a different threshold for what he judges to be an acceptable level of contact, doesn't he, White? He, he's very physical with people and he's like, oh, come on, you can't go down just because I've, I've elbowed you in the face. You could easily stay on your feet from that. Uh, but it doesn't matter anyway, because the, to quote the, uh, the commentator, he didn't just miss that, he absolutely ruined it. <laughs> yeah. Totally harpered it, didn't he, there? Peter Reid's one contribution to managing City in this game seems to have been to take Mark Ward off penalties, who has scored three so far in a very short season, and put his old mate Alan Harper on them. And yeah, just absolute miles over the bar. If you think Chris Waddle against West Germany, and then some. And it is just a couple of minutes after that that we get the second, so it's a bit as, maybe not quite as compact as Pat Bamford versus Leicester, but it's one of those very quick turnarounds where you think it was it was almost lost and then it's won. And it does mean we get a, a, an interview with Howard Wilkinson just before the second half is starting. I assume it's Gary Newborn asking the questions where he's able to say, we've been quite lucky here, we don't deserve to be 2-0 uh, up. <laughs> Happy they've, man. Been, they've been a lot better than <laughs> us. Um, and what's interesting about that is there's usually that thing of managers are in a hurry to get back to the, to the dugout and they cut and the, the game is kicking off. But Wilkinson is still, Newborn is like, Thank you, Howard. Like, no, but games are like that sometimes. Okay, thank you, Howard. I mean, but we've really we've not been very good in the... Thanks, Howard. Yep. Oh, just, just game looking, starting. Just looking for a soundbite, Howard. Just looking for a soundbite. I mean, that first half sort of gives you that sense of what a ding-dong battle it was. And the, and the phrase you used, I think, it was you, Michael, who said earlier on, there was not, not the control of the Forest game. And it's very much in evidence in the second half because within five minutes, they've pulled one back. Another penalty. This one I'm not having. No. It's Mel. I mean, Mel's a good lad. He wouldn't do anything like that. And aren't the rules against giving two penalties in a game? It's just not the done thing, is it? We don't do that over here. I think there's another attempt later in the game to win a penalty as well by Megson, which is one of the mm. most pathetic things I've ever seen because he's, he's Gary fucking Megson for a start. who's wearing a number 10, which he has absolutely no right to do. But this one, I think this is really soft as well. He just seems that it, the ball's going over the top of him, so he just throws himself to the floor instead. Yeah, it's the... Across to the back post and Niall Quinn, who is about six foot four, is running there with Mel Sterland, who's about five foot nine. And Sterland is the wrong side of him and maybe he does give him a, a, a nudge, but then Quinn goes absolutely flying. And Trevor Francis, I, thought, I don't think he really helps Alan Parry on the, the commentary because Alan Parry shows him the replay and says, what do you, what do you think, Trevor, is that a penalty? And he says, well, well, I was watching, uh, <laughs> looking at the reaction of Mel Sterland. <laughs> And uh, I thought, okay, so you've not actually looked to see if there was a foul or not. He's just looked to see whether Mel Sterling thought it was a foul. Mel Sterling, the Leeds United right back, who has been accused of giving away this penalty. Well, Mel Sterling doesn't, uh, he doesn't seem to think it was a penalty. So uh, you've got to go with what, uh, with, with Mel's reaction there. Ignoring Nal Quinn's reaction, Nal Quinn's has slid about 10 feet along the ground, screaming penalty. No, look at Mel. <laughs> You've done the same joke three times. It's not. It's not diminished in its quality. Yet. Trevor Francis is fucking useless as a co-commentator. He's there's so many times when um, Alan Parry sort of goes, um, 
and it's re- it's really interesting to see what the how the game is developing, Trevor. And there'll just be a minute of silence. It was good. Yeah, it's good. Oh, cheers. <laughs> is it is it um, Francis later in the game when the when Batty has decked Megson in the face? He, he gives makes the excuse of I'll do it now. Why not? Yeah, yeah, same joke. <laughs> well, referee wasn't best placed. <laughs> but he was the referee. When you look at it shows a replay, he's very clearly stood about ten yards away looking at it, and he's like, I think he was. No, he was. He was really well placed. He's just not given it for some reason. Even though Gary Megson, Gary Megson at this point is rolling around on the floor like he he looks like a nan who's fallen over in town. He's sort of <laughs> holding his face in a kind of. Oh, I don't I know mean, what's happening. I mean, nineteen ninety football, you could get away with manslaughter, and yeah, it was it was only murder that they give a free kick for. And Batty brilliantly. He's showing no concern. Oh, he's he, not asked at all. He just does not give a fuck, Batty. That's the great thing about watching him. He's just the, the complete disregard he holds for human life. And then just wipes his nose just, on his sleeve. Just boots people, then walks off like, I don't know, was bleeding or something. I don't know why. The game does get quite uh, tasty towards the end. Tackles do start flying in, and, and Batty takes that as a, an invitation to do what he does here, which is essentially tackle Gary Megson in the face. It's um, <laughs> The ball is between them, but he somehow manages to to go in for the tackle and the kind of face to face, but for some reason, Batty's fist is just in Megson's face and stays there for ages. And then Megson's on the floor. And then when it, it is revealed that there's blood pouring out from a uh, cut just underneath, underneath his eye and the camera cuts to Batty. Did his, I think his face collided with his fist. Is that probably, it's probably I mean, like I say, it's just a tackle 50, 50. It just so happens that somebody's fist ended up in somebody's face. And then, so when Batty sees him bleeding, the, the camera cuts to him and you see him kind of, walking across and you think oh maybe he's going to go and apologize now but he's actually just getting like a bottle of water out the physio's little basket of uh of water bottles does not care and it happens later on i think it's um it's either colin henry or or neil Poynton tackles batty quite late and it's a bit of an accident the sliding together and he just gets there too late and Poynton um kind of as they're getting up kind of knocks batty on the shoulder and he's like sorry no response but he just does not care like, but he could have chewed batty's leg off and he's like I'm really not bothered. Can we just get on with the game? Actually, it's like, can we finish the game? Because I've got to go and pay me lucky bill. So they've made it 2-1 from this penalty. Um, yeah, they the give post. it back to uh, Mark Ward, yeah. who is good at them, and he scores it. Makes good management. Peter Reid, always thinking. So 49 minutes, yeah, 2-1 to Leeds. But again, returning to this theme of the lack of control, up the other end within, what, 13, 14 minutes, and we're, um, we're back further in front again. Nicely worked again, and Strachan... Proving that he still has the legs as well. Another another goal where he's he bursts through from deep with using his electric pace. But it's a nice move. Like Kamara cuts out a pass. There's a little one-two with Strachan and Chapman, and he goes for a tough angle. And I'd say I'd say well, this will later be known as like a Thierry on refinish, where he mm-hmm. kind of opens up his body and puts it across the keeper. But yeah, very nice, very nice goal. And the thing to rate about um, Strachan running from deep is it had come from. We had an attacking throw-in and Strachan had run into their penalty area helping to get it and City had cleared it. So he chases, um, I can't remember who he chases, I think it might be Pointland again. Anyway, he chases their player all the way back into our half where Kamara gets the block in. Kamara gives the ball to Batty and because Strachan's there, Batty gives it to Strachan. Then he runs all the way back again with this 1-2. Very nice little uh, touch and turn from Lee Chapman. There is another moment in this game when he tries to, to trap a football and it goes flying out for a throw-in. But <laughs> I mean, generally, yeah, he's got he's got the subtlety of a reversing bin lorry, hasn't he? But every now and then, when he manages to touch a ball and there is about 30 yards of space between him and the corner flag, he doesn't have to measure this through ball too too carefully. Just kick it there. And he does it. And then, yeah, Strachan is on the ball and he's 33 at this point. And there's no real reason that the 33-year-old should be able to 
especially when we're talking about players in the, the condition they were in 1990, to be able to sprint from the penalty area to the halfway line and then back again with the ball and then score. I mean, that's um, that's a doggy, isn't it? That's the kind of training routine footballers absolutely hate, where you have to run from the to the from the goal line to the halfway line and back again all these times. It does it scores a great goal. Um, and just when you think the game is safe on 62 minutes at 3-1, no, it's not. There is still time for Man City to score another, and quickly as well, three minutes later and it's 3-2. Points in here proving that he is the greatest playmaker you've ever seen. The commentators don't seem to be calling him out for the fact that this is a mishit pass that happens to be a really good through ball because he's about 35, 40 yards from goal. He's just picked it up square from Peter Reid, and I, I think he's just trying to do a normal pass. But instead, it's an absolute inch-perfect dis- defence-splitting ball, which kind of wrong-foots Chris Fairclough and David White just sneaks in behind and, well, quite a decent finish in fairness, past Lukic, who's coming out. Yeah, it's the one time that they kind of made something happen. The rest of the time, they probably... I think Leeds were better than them because we actually were able to create goals and score them, but City had loads of the ball and then just, like I said, their two plans came to nothing, so you can't really give them too much credit for their performance but at 3-2 it then just sort of becomes a very committed kind of it's after this that Patty starts tackling people in the face and everyone's <laughs> kicking each other and everybody's going for the 50-50s and it gets, it's really enjoyable but not a lot happens it's just uh, did, did you think he meant that through ball? I didn't notice it was mishit I just think there's no way Neil Poynton has seen that it's so ridiculously inch perfect in a game which has seen absolutely nothing even resembling this as a pass it's the sort of thing that if Kevin De Bruyne did it now, people would be raving about it. But it's Neil Poynton and he's got a mullet and a tash and it I've can't possibly re- have been deliberate. I've just realised that there's an equivalence there, isn't there? Kevin De Bruyne in midfield for Man City, to me, does not in any way equate to Neil Poynton in midfield for Man City of then. And yet they are the same beast, technically. Very different clubs, aren't they? I was gonna say, well, I mean, one of the uh, the highlights of this match, or depending on your point of view, is um, being back at Main Road and hearing Helen's bell. Did you enjoy hearing Helen's bell throughout the game? Not at all. Really, really <laughs> annoying. For the benefit of anybody who's not aware of what Helen's bell is. Um, Helen was uh, an absolute fixture at Main Road until, well, from the 1970s until they left, essentially. And uh, a bit of a Diana Dawes glamour puss in a day. She had a massive blonde beehive. She used to give the goalkeepers a sprig of lucky heather before every match. And then she used to sit on the front row behind the goal and ring a bell. I mean, everybody hates the England band and nobody likes drums and you would think this would be similarly annoying, but at City back in the day, um, if she wasn't ringing the bell, the crowd used to sing, Helen, ring your bell, Helen, Helen, ring your bell to get the team fired up. And there's um, there's footage of when they won the League Cup in 1976 and they're doing a lap of honour at Wembley. The get Helen is on the lap of honour because all the players absolutely loved her. The fans thought the world of her. By the time of this... She was in a wheelchair. Um, I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for hating on her. Sorry. Um, and she spent, like, she used to raise money for, for local hospitals. Was All right, I'm she sorry. Spent, <laughs> she spent her weeks and then... Um, Ring and, your bell. And City had given her and a, a mate free season tickets for years and she was there until... Oh, she's fucking freeloader. <laughs> and her... Um, Bates would have called her a freeloader, yeah. Upon her death, her bell has been bequeathed to Manchester City and apparently they do still occasionally bring it out for a, a bit of a ring-a-ding. But um, I'd forgotten about it until this game kicked off and it was one of those uh, things where if you watched like football matches at the time, everybody would know that bell at Elland Road so everybody then found out the story of Helen the Bell. Well, there you go. Hell's Bells. Maybe that's where the phrase came from. It is kind of, it. it, it is an illustration of where City were 
they were always kind of the the cuter, slightly more soulful football club in that hateful city. Scum were always just basically scum, but then City would be the ones you'd have like they'd have some a mad woman with a bi ringing a bell behind yeah, the door. Yeah, the banana, like, inflatable bananas, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they used to be an actual creditable football club, not what they are now. So last twenty five minutes, pretty attritional. Uh, and we get through and we secure the victory on the television, no less. What was the post-match like? Well, Howard Wilkinson wasn't particularly um, <laughs> much more sold on it than he was at half-time. Said, well. Uh, <laughs> it was not one of our better performances. I think we looked drugged at times, and perhaps we ought to check the tease that he gave us before the match. That's Howard's attempt at, at levity, isn't it? He's, it's, quite, yeah. it's quite an accusation <laughs> as well. Um, the the microphones next to his bench, you can never tell whether it's him or Mick Hennigan, but it was quite entertaining. Towards the end, you could hear him, him yelling at Gary McCarrister, Gary, get hold of it and keep it. And um, there's a very audible, shut it, fuck's sake, <laughs> which I, I really enjoyed. And no apologies, Alan Parry is just perfectly content industrial language on a Sunday afternoon on ITV. It was kind of the great unsaid thing, wasn't it, back in the days, which is why it kind of jars a little bit. Now, we're sorry if you heard any offensive language. I didn't hear any offensive language, none. There's a great shot, I can't remember, but there's a decision I think been given against Batty at some point, and he says the most obvious fuck off you've ever seen as well as a big close up on his face. And you can you can hear it in David Batty's voice, even though there's no sound on it. You just you can just really perfectly lip read him. The, uh, the Yorkshire Evening Post were more impressed. They described it as a nail-biting television thriller to rival Twin Peaks. I mean that that dates it beautifully. And again, it's was what, what was Laura Palmer playing for them? That's part of the the fact that the, this game was on television was the story. The headline was that it was a TV thriller. United hit a peak in su- in Sunday Super Show. So um, and that, there's a review in the Evening Post as well of what the TV coverage was like. Mike Casey's TV viewpoint. Who does raise the point that it was a it was pretty rubbish they, in the closing minutes their cameras just fail and you see um, part of stoppage time is just like a security camera um, in one of the corners and Alan Parry, Parry um, very optimistically saying, well, you're not missing any of the action. It's like, no, but I do seem to be watching it from halfway up a floodlight. There was a time, I'm sure I remember this, of people sitting on a hill to watch games at Ellen Road. You could just about see them and it, uh, that's kind of the view you get of the, the pitch for, for a few minutes here. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. The view from Moss Side and all that, Moss Side cam. And yeah, we traipsed off into Moss Side to see if our cars were still intact and whether the 50p to look after your car, mister, had, had paid off properly. Because uh, for the benefit of anybody who doesn't know or isn't old enough to remember where Main Road was, it was a little bit sketchy around Moss Side. Yes, although most of the uh, the trouble was actually inside the ground, which was probably the other post-match story. There is a, It got on camera as well, which only heightened the, the problem you people will remember. At the start of the season, the FA and Football League threatened us with ground closures and entire football club closures for first and second strikes if there was any crowd trouble involving Leeds this season. So when, after a quarter of an hour, the camera cuts to the side of the pitch and you can see Leeds fans dancing on the actual football pitch while the game is going on <laughs> and Alan Parry saying, well, this is not what we want to see from a football match. And uh, yeah, there'd been ticket touts got the blame. Uh, initially that Leeds fans were in the home end and there was fighting and so they had to be led round to the away end. But then Man City's chairman, owner at the time, Peter Swales, who... Character. If you imagine Ken Bates with a greasy comb over, you're probably quite close to what Peter Swales was. People, Ken Bates was a bit of an anachronism by the time he 
came to Leeds in 2005, wasn't it? And then stuck with, with us for the next decade. But there was a time every football chairman was basically exactly like that. And Peter Swales was, was completely the, one of the, the typical ones. Um, he described Leeds fans' behaviour as wanton, moronic vandalism. And there were claims... Thank you very much. Claims that there were 35 rows of seats damaged in the away end, which... Um, Immediately, yeah, the, he- the headlines are that we're, we're on a tightrope now. The FA are going to be looking at this. The Football League are going to be looking at it. What have the fans done? We're, we're up to, after this game, we've gone above City and Scum. So we're up to fifth, just behind, uh, two points behind Crystal Palace. Obviously, Liverpool are still miles ahead. They've just trounced Luton 4 0. Yeah, still, both them and Arsenal still unbeaten. But we've got two wins on the bounce there. So picking up a little bit of momentum. But now they're going to close the club down. Oh, so that's a bit of a shame. I mean, just going back to this, this brings back memories of going to Manchester City in the 1980s and being a wide-eyed youngster. And uh, you used to stand, I think they gave us a big bit on the on the terrace there, um, and it was shared with the Man City fans. It was undercover. Was that the Kipax? Oh, I, I lose track of them all. That was one of the stands anyway. And um, I remember seeing a massive net dividing the two sets of fans and wondering what that was there for when there's a fence there to stop us getting at each other. And then you realise that loads of objects and coins in particular mm. uh, were being flung from one side to the other. Different times. I remember I went to Cardiff and they still had net between the um, between the home and away fans to stop shit being thrown. Mm. And like I say, coins did get through. Because they could. Generally, could. your net was not coin proof, was it? Uh, they were tuna yeah. safe, dolphin yeah. safe nets or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I think that'll be the, the developing story over the next couple of weeks is, uh, is whether we're still going to have a football club by the time. Christmas comes around, or if um, Graham Kelly's going to have his way and have it closed down fully. <laughs> well, we'll find out how the team gets on on the pitch back at Ellen Road on November the 17th when Derby County come to town. We'll see you then. The Match Ball. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 